Welcome to the podcast from Trinity United Methodist Church in Ruston, Louisiana. Our prayer is that God uses this time to speak specifically to you, regardless of where you are on your faith journey. We'd also like to invite you to worship with us every Sunday morning at 8.30 or 10.45, either in person or online at www.trinityruston.org. Thanks for listening. So we're continuing our sermon series on faith on film, and today's scripture comes from the Gospel of Luke, the fourth chapter, verses 18 and 19, verses 18 and 19. Jesus is addressing his hometown synagogue, and he's sharing the purpose for his being. He's quoting from Isaiah, and hear these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free. In other words, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I love that. You know, when you read scripture, Sometimes the Holy Spirit grabs you in a different way each time you read it. We've talked about this before, and that's because we serve a living God who breathes life into us as we read his word. And so as I was reading this, what struck me so to the point that it just would not let me go was where Jesus says to proclaim release to the captives and to set the oppressed free. Release to the captives and to set the oppressed free. And so then I couldn't help but ask, well, in what ways does Jesus proclaim and bring release to the captives? In what way does Jesus set the oppressed free? And so then it's just one step from that to what are the kinds of things that imprison us? Why is it that so many of us, most of us, need to be released? Well, there are many, many answers to those questions. And for some of us, some know a literal prison, some know literal captivity, But for most of us, that is not the case. And yet, if we're honest, we nonetheless need the freedom from what binds us all the same. And what is that? Fear. Lack of belief in oneself, lack of belief that another believes in us, lack of belief that God believes in us, all promote and stem from fear. Fear. There is nothing more heart-wrenching 
than to hear a child whose parent expresses nothing but disbelief, a lack of confidence, a lack of investment, a lack of faith in their children. A number of years ago, I was a youth director at the age of 25, and I was just heartsick. I see it in my mind as clearly as though it were yesterday. A teenage boy in our youth group was trying to put a rather large ladder inside the storage building, the storage room associated with our gymnasium at church. It was cumbersome, it was bigger than he was, and the door was not just humongous. And so he kind of struggled to find a way for that ladder to get in and to fit. And his father standing there with other youth looking on as this young man had graciously offered to do something on behalf of our group and to spare me from having to wrestle with that ginormous ladder. His father looked on And with a tone that just borders contempt, so ridiculed his son for being inept, incapable of getting that ladder directly into its spot in one fluid motion. And you could see as the words landed on his son's ears and made their way to his heart, you could just see him turn in on himself. If ever so briefly, The embarrassment, the shame, the uncertainty, and although he recovered quickly in the moment, it was all too clear that he was accustomed to the kind of relationship in which his father expressed anything but confidence in him. And then it becomes a vicious cycle Because he has not received anyone to express faith in him, then he has no faith in himself and attracts to him others who just verify what he already believes to be true. In meeting a number of people who have been the victims of domestic violence, not every case by any stretch, but frequently, When asked, well, why do you stay in a physically or emotionally abusive relationship? So often the response after you work through the layers of layers of layers is, I didn't think I deserved better. One of the ways in which we are held captive is when we believe that we are not worthy of investment that we are not worthy of others having belief in us. And wrongly, we believe that God is no different. But how life-giving it is to experience the opposite. When I was a girl, my father would tell me because I absolutely loved algebra. I loved math. Sweet baby, you can be whatever you want to be. If you want to be a mathematician, you be a mathematician. Now, at the time, we didn't know any. I didn't know any women mathematicians, but you can be a mathematician. And he continued to say that until I took trigonometry and calculus. And then neither of us said that. 
And then years down the road, when I had never, ever met or even heard a woman woman preacher, I came home to say, I think I'm called into ministry. And after their initial shock and utter, well, shock, the same words rang true, sweet baby, you can do anything. And if you're called to be a pastor, then you be a pastor. And that doesn't mean there haven't been profound moments of insecurity and unrest and uncertainty. Of course there have. But to know as a child growing up that my father believed in me, not just in what I could do, but in who I am, it is a powerful statement. We know that when others profess belief in who we are and what we are capable of doing, then we are able to live more fully into who we were meant to be. Could not Jesus be saying this? I have to admit that I picked today's movie, a sports movie, and next week's movie, another sports movie, not because I know a whole lot about sports. If you've met me five minutes, you know that isn't true. I can't even fake that. But because I know these movies are especially meaningful to a few people in our congregation. Today, we watch from the life of Canute Rockney. Now, before, he was truly an amazing coach. In fact, he was identified in the College Football Hall of Fame as without question American football's most renowned coach before he became a renowned coach. He was a player. Born in 1905 in Norway, he came to America with his family and moved to, to Illinois. He then went on to play football when he finally had saved enough money for college at Notre Dame. The year was 1913, November 1st to be exact, and Notre Dame was slated to play the amazing, bone-crushing Army football team. To say that Notre Dame was expected to lose was an understatement. And yet, Knut Rockney believing, well, watch for yourselves. I don't know if you could hear the beginning of that clip. As Knut Rockney was getting ready to do something that had never successfully been done in football before. The forward pass. What's so fascinating to me is that his coach, knowing that they were likely to lose, wasn't just acting out of desperation. When Knut Rockney said to his coach, I believe that I can do this, his coach expressed not belief in the forward pass, he expressed confidence in Knut Rockney. If you say this is worth trying, then let's do it. 
It revolutionized football. Now, you have to consider that although he and his friend Gus Darius didn't invent the forward pass, clearly they're the ones who used it successfully the first time and made it famous, changed the way football is played. But what a risk. He could have said in front of his teammates and in front of all of those, not even fans because they were playing at West Point, he could have made an utter fool of himself, embarrassed himself, embarrassed his teammates and embarrassed his coach, but his coach had confidence in him. When other people have confidence in us, it gives us courage but all the more so when we realize that Jesus has confidence in us. God has confidence in us. And the reason we know that is because God sent Jesus. God saying through Jesus Christ, look, you're going to succeed sometimes and you're going to fail. But I believe in you So the chains of fear and self-doubt don't need to take hold of your soul. You can have the confidence to risk doing new things, to risk loving and forgiving yourself, to risk loving other people, to risk acts of kindness that are so profound, to risk giving yourself to another person with your whole heart, to risk vulnerability, knowing you might be rejected. I've been preaching for 30 years and many of you already know that the very first thing I do when I stand up in the pulpit is I look for Jimmy. Because even as often as I preach and have been preaching, my heart always gets a little skips a beat or two and my stomach still gets filled with a few butterflies. And depending what's going on in our family or my world or depending on what's going on in the life of a congregation, those butterflies might increase or decrease. But to see Jimmy is not only to know that he personally believes in me, but he tells me that God believes in me. God sent Jesus for you. Jesus will be with you in that pulpit. Jesus will be with all of us. And so what does it look like for people who have never, ever, ever heard that anyone believes in them? To recognize and to hold dear that above all else, God is not fooled by our sin. He's not fooled by our weakness. He's not fooled by our foibles, but he does not hold our worst days against us. He doesn't hold our weaknesses against us and he forgives us our sin in Jesus Christ. If that's not God's way of saying, I believe in you, then I don't know what is. And isn't that One of the many ways in which Jesus breaks those chains and releases the captives, sets the prisoner free, isn't it by God saying to us, I'm investing in you. And because I invest in you, you can risk investing in others. 
You can risk living as people who are free. You can risk living as people who are confident. And yet who will fail? We can risk loving the unlovable. We can risk sharing the gospel in word and deed. Day before yesterday, as many of you know, I, I should say, Jimmy and I were in Connecticut last weekend seeing our daughter and son-in-law. And just so you know, we slept with the windows open. Friday, daughter Jennifer, who lives in Colorado, said a few days before, Mom, I'm coming to Baton Rouge to see a few of my friends. Would you drive down and spend Friday night with me? And I said... Yes. So I filled up my vehicle, the one I lovingly call Big Girl. So I fill up Big Girl at the gas station here in Ruston, and I'm headed towards Monroe, going down through Natchez. And Jimmy calls me just before I get to Monroe. He says, sweetheart, do you have your American Express card? And I said, well, yeah, I just used it at the gas station. Well, would you just pull over the road, pull over on the side of the road and check to see if you have your American Express card? So, of course, I did. And to my utter shock, I did not. He said, well, a man called, a complete and total stranger called to say that he had my American Express card. He had gone to the trouble to try to find our home telephone number, which thankfully we have and was listed. And so then he tells Jimmy that he's willing to meet Jimmy over on Highway 33 so that Jimmy can collect the card. And I thought, you know, that was a tremendous act of trust and faithfulness on Jimmy's part to go to Highway 33. But this man, this stranger, He doesn't know who Jimmy is. Jimmy could be an axe murderer. As I said earlier, he's a little iffy. (laughs) This man didn't know. But he opened himself up. He risked an act of abundant generosity to a complete stranger. I had the privilege of chatting with him on the phone when Jimmy went to pick up my card. And I said, first of all, you do know you're going to end up as a sermon illustration. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. And then I, I asked him why he would do such a generous thing. And although these were not his words, I could hear in what he was saying. He said, ma'am, I always try to help somebody else. And then he came to worship this morning at 8.30. I believe that he understood at the very core of his being that God is willing to invest in him, that he matters and he is loved and therefore he is willing to risk acts of generosity that require effort to a complete stranger. When we understand that God says, I love you enough to invest myself in you, I believe in you, I have confidence in you, I'm sending my son for you, then we don't have to behave as though we are still chained. We don't have to behave as though we are not people of freedom. 
We can risk stepping out in service. We can risk whatever God has called us and put in our hearts to do. But God didn't just give us this as individuals. And God's faith in us and willingness to give us Christ Jesus was never meant to be hoarded. And it's not for just a one-on-one. God also is choosing to invest in our church. I am confident that God has marvelous ministries for Trinity to continue doing and to do. I believe with all of my heart that God is saying Jesus Christ has faith in us as a church. Faith in our ability to reach people for Christ. Faith in our ability to bring people into the kingdom. Faith in our ability to welcome those in this community nobody else wants to see. I believe God is saying to us, I have faith that despite conflicts external and internal, we can and will be more. The best is ahead of us. Because God has invested in us. God sent Jesus to say, I'm with you, I'm for you, and if I am for you, who can stand against you? The question isn't whether or not God has faith in us. The question is once we know it, What will we do? And if you agree, say amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.